Hello everyone, this is Omar from The Third Rail. Nice to have you guys. Today we have a special guest. Every week we try to have a guest try to feed your brain with more intellectual conversation. My doctor, my, my guest, excuse me. My guest today is um, Brian Mora. He is the author of the, a book called the, the April Archer Crisis, The Secret History of the 1988, uh, of the 1983 NATO War Scare. The April Archer Crisis, the secret, the secret History of the 1983 NATO War Scare by Brian Moore is a book. Mora, about to explore the tense political and military climate of the early 1980s. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Mora. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to be here. I'm glad. Am I announcing? Am I pronouncing your name? There's the book you see is on the top corner. You want to get it on Amazon? We put it there so you can see it throughout the show. Um, all right. So uh, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad this happened. Uh, and um. Where do we start? I know uh, um, I was a kid in the 1980s. Could you give me some background on, on yourself first? I mean, how did you come? Uh, uh, go ahead. Sure, yeah. Well, I uh, let's see, how did I come to be where I was in the early 1980s? Might be a good place to start, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in the southern part of Virginia, okay. and uh, I had an interest in as a kid, as a teenager, I had an interest in uh, international relations and foreign policy and that kind of thing. And when I went to college, um, I studied, I was a history major, but I specialized in Russian history and um, minored in East Asian history. And I studied Russian language. Uh, I w wanted to be in the foreign service or to be an intelligence officer. And uh, after I graduated from college, I did um, become an intelligence officer in the Air Force. And uh, I had been in the Air Force for several years um, by the time of the Able Archer crisis, which played out in 1983. So I, I was a captain in the Air Force at that point. And uh, so that's how I came to be where I was in 1983 during the nuclear war crisis. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, can you give us a bit uh, the, the the atmosphere of the 1980s? You you had the Afghanistan war, so the the Soviet Union was drowning in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. You had the Contra. There's a lot of things going on during that time. You have the Contra and the leftist government in South America. We had Reagan, who was a little bit nuts, you know, uh, uh, all that stuff. So it was a tough environment at that time, and there was not much communication like today. So how, what was actually what was the operation? Because I read something to it in your book. I highlighted your book. It was about a training by NATO, right? Like a, an exercise by NATO that triggered this thing. Well, that didn't really trigger the crisis. That was the that was actually the culminating part of the crisis, oh. uh, and I can certainly get to that. But just to to your yeah. point, Omar, to talk about the atmosphere of the early nineteen eighties. You're right. The uh, Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan at the very end of 1979. Uh, the Soviet Union uh, was deploying new nuclear weapons into uh, Eastern Europe and into Western part of the Soviet Union, which prompted NATO and the United States to respond with 
new nuclear weapons of ourselves, which were deployed into, into West Germany and the United Kingdom in late 1983. Uh, you mentioned Ronald Reagan. Reagan yeah. was president. Uh, yeah. His he, he was very anti, virulently anti-communist yeah. and gave a lot of inflammatory speeches about the oh, Soviet yeah. Union, including yeah. two in 1983. And the leader of the Soviet Union by 1983 was a guy named Yuri Andropov, who had been, for many, many years, had been chairman of the KGB, of the Soviet Intelligence Service. So that was his background, and, and yeah. he came he came into the leadership of the Soviet Union with a degree of paranoia that um, we had never seen before, really, in the in the history of the Soviet Union. Uh, as you said, there were other tensions around the world too. Yeah, uh, but right. uh, but that was the main, you know, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, but that tension was was. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you had other, I think, other other problems. You had the Soviet leaders were all, all sick, men. They used to go disappear for a year or two. Nobody knows if they're alive or dead at that time. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and the, the, the Soviet Union had a, a leadership issue at that time. Oh. Everybody was like, I sent it right now in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> you understand, in the United States. So there was a lot of things going on, a little small things in there. So you don't know, we didn't even know who was in charge sometime at, the, at that time during the the early 80s and late 80s. Yeah, we, we were, we didn't have a lot of insight into how they made decisions, that's for sure, and, yeah. and who ha held sway at one time or another in the Kremlin. And as you said, uh, certainly by the early 1980s, the leadership of the Soviet Union were largely quite elderly and yeah. often ill men. One exception to that uh, yeah. was Mikhail Gorbachev, who yeah. was on the Politburo. He was in the leadership of the Soviet yeah. Union under Andropov. Now, he wouldn't actually come into power as the top guy until 1985, but uh, he was the exception that proved the rule, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, okay, so we have all, the, all this background in there. You have the, the, the Soviet Union which is drowning in, 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 in Afghanistan. They're probably going broke and we don't even know it because they could not maintain their economic prowess like the West was, you know, making weapons. Because if you see the Russian weapons, they have a rocket bigger than my house. Or we have one is about the side of my door and it does the same damage as the other one. So, um, and you had the star, right? What was it called the Star War, the, the initiative that Reagan was talking about, you know, from space. So there was a lot of pressure on the Soviet Union. But how yeah. did you get to, I mean, could you give us a background? How did it start the, the, and how dangerous did we get, uh, come close to a nuclear war with the Soviet Union? I was well, a kid at that. I was, I was still in uh, junior high school at that time. Yeah, and you're right about, you know, Star Wars was part of this whole yeah. environment and reagan gave that star wars speech in march of 1983 right. and it scared the hell out of the kremlin uh because they believed we could actually build it and right. star wars was <laughs> a yeah, was, yeah. was intended to be a missile defense yeah. for uh the united states and our allies and what the soviets feared was if the united states could actually build this kind of a system it would in essence, negate yeah. their nuclear weapons. It would make them, in, you know, ineffective. And more 
alarming to them was we could sit behind this shield potentially and launch our nuclear weapons at them and destroy them. And if they tried to retaliate, we could negate those weapons coming over through a missile defense shield. So that, that was like the Soviets worst nightmare. Right. And, uh, and that, that, again, that speech revealed the existence of this program in late March of 1983. And it just contributed to the uh, high tension that existed between East and West at that time. But, uh, and I can talk about the, the more specific events of 1983 as we go, as we go. Okay. Let's start Like, Give me some background, how it started and let's go together and move. Yeah. So the, the, probably the, the first provocative event apart from Reagan's speeches in 1983 was in April of 1983, uh, US Navy fighter aircraft violated Soviet airspace in the Far East and actually overflew Soviet military facilities. And this really angered the Soviets and they saw it as either a provocation to really, you know, piss them off or Uh as, as a way of um, prompting a nuclear war. The Soviets were, had convinced themselves in the leadership in the Kremlin that NATO and the U.S. were planning a nuclear first strike. That's really probably the most important fact underlying this entire um, 1983 episode. They had reached a conclusion that NATO, um, one way or another, was going to launch a nuclear first strike on the Soviet Union and that NATO and the U.S. might be looking for an excuse to do that. And so this Navy overflight, hey, is this the excuse they're looking for? Um, the, the, The event that really triggered the crisis in the fall of 1983, though, was uh, happened on the 1st of September, 1983. And that's when the Soviet Air Force shot down um, a Korean airliner, uh, flight KAL flight 007. uh, And the Soviets killed 269 people on board, including 62 Americans, um, including a U.S. congressman by the way, who was on board that flight. So that incident um, uh, was a, as I said, the trigger for a kind of a cascading series of events that happened that fall. The American people and everybody around the world, in fact, was aware of this Korean airline shoot down. What they didn't know at the time was that in the next two or three days after that shoot down, the United States and the Soviet Union came within seconds of yeah. air combat, right. actually having MiG-23s and F-15s in combat with each other. So uh, that was something that we were aware of in the intelligence community, but it didn't get, it did not get revealed to the U.S. Uh, population or anybody else. Mm. So that that event again eroded relations even more than they already had been damaged and one of the you know many people ask me about um, how does this this series of events compare to the cuban missile crisis which took place in 1962 and just about everybody reads about the cuban missile crisis in history And one of the differences between 1983 and 1962 
that's important for people to understand is that in 1983, the White House and the Kremlin were not talking to each other. There, there was virtually no communication between the U.S. government and the, and the Soviet Union, unlike in 1962, when during the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. Pres President Kennedy and Premier Khrushchev were talking almost every day, right. both formally and informally. Yeah. And they kept those lines of communication open in a, an effort to uh, prevent miscalculation from right. occurring. None of that was going on in 83. Right. And, and, and that, that lack of communication got even worse after the Korean airline shoot down. What do you think? Was our fault? It was a lot of arrogance from our side? Or it was there was fault on both sides. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the leader of the Soviet Union, Andropov, was yeah. asked by his own uh, general staff, why don't you talk to Reagan? And he just said, I don't have any interest in talking to him. I'm not yeah. going to talk to him. And for our part, um, I think especially after the Korean airline shoot down, um, President Reagan and his cabinet were so enraged with the Soviet Union over what they called a, you know, an intentional murder. That's yeah. what they called it. Yeah. That they just didn't want to talk to them. Right. And uh, and so things really had broken down to the point where there was this tremendously dangerous lack right. of communication. Uh -huh. Then, then the, the next event that took place that fall was uh, uh, late in September, on the 27th of September, the Soviet National Missile Defense Center outside of Moscow detected, just after midnight on the 27th of September, they detected uh, intercontinental ballistic missile launches coming out of the United States right. toward the Soviet Union. Yeah. Now, and the guy that was on duty the chief watch officer that night, the world was fortunate that that guy was an expert in yeah. their satellites that yeah. were detecting these missile launches. And he came to the conclusion after an agonizing, you know, debate, he came to the conclusion that these launches must be false alarms. They, they must not really be happening. Somehow yeah. our satellites are picking up, spurious signals and and so on and so he made the decision um to advise his leadership not to retaliate yeah and had he not been on duty had it been somebody else yeah could have turned out very wow. differently and uh yeah so and yeah. we were unaware of that incident at the time and in fact we didn't learn of that incident until after the fall of the soviet union uh, in 1998, 15 years later. Wow. Uh, so that was, but the Soviets were aware of that incident and it just heightened their paranoia. Yeah. Um, then the, the final event that fall and the, the, as I said, at the beginning of our conversation, really the culminating event of the yeah. crisis was a NATO nuclear war exercise yeah. called able archer 83. Okay, this, yeah. this this is happening. They don't know about the other events. So, uh, about the event that that's, that happened, with only the Russians know, right? Correct. Right. Only okay. the Russians knew about that. Okay. But that event increased 
the stress yeah. level and the paranoia of the Russians. <laughs> and, re and remember, their kind of their premise is we know at some point in the future, the United States and NATO are going to attempt a first strike on us. So we're constantly watching for that. And that event on the 27th of September just heightened their their antenna, if you will. Wow. Um, then we get to the Able Archer 83 exercise. Yeah. And the timing of this could not have been worse because right. the, the Soviets were kind of on a knife's edge. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, what does NATO do? It, it holds a major nuclear war exercise in the early November of, uh, of 1983, that again, given the Soviets mindset, they're inclined to believe, well, this might be the real thing. Uh -huh. And, and they believed that if we were to attack them, it would probably be under the guise of an exercise. Yeah. And there were many things about the Able Archer 83 exercise that were hyper-realistic yeah. that to the Soviets observing it, it looked like, boy, this might really be the real thing. Yeah. As a consequence of that belief, yeah. the Soviets put their all of their nuclear forces, both their theater nuclear forces in Europe and their strategic nuclear forces in the Soviet Union on the highest state of alert in history, and even a higher state of alert than they'd gone to during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So they were really prepared for a, a general nuclear war. And in Washington, there was a, a sense that, well, they can't actually believe that because we're not going to strike them first. How can they possibly believe that? So there was disagreement within the intelligence community on our side and within Washington specifically about just what the Soviets were up to. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think, uh, why do you think uh, uh, there was so much mistrust? I mean, nuclear war is the final act. I mean, nobody's going to survive it. So for this, are uh, we going to hit you first? Or are we going to strike first? Are they going to, why was that mentality on between these two countries? I mean, we had two different systems. I mean, we had, uh, we had issues, you understand? But nuclear weapon is like, that's it. That's the last thing. I mean, I mean, there's nothing after that. It's a total destruction for both countries or for the world, a matter of fact. So why was this so mistrust? I mean, are they going to hit us first? Are we going to hit them first? I mean. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah. And it was on the minds of everybody in Washington at that time. Yeah. But I think the answer lies in this. Uh, I, I think it goes to the Soviet sense, probably by around 1980, that they're losing the battle, right. that they're losing to the West economically, they're losing politically, they so can't so, keep yeah. up militarily, um, they can't keep up technologically. And there was the sense that they're slipping and they were losing ground. And, Af and the war in Afghanistan was part of that. The war in Afghanistan yeah. wasn't, wasn't going all that well. Right. And so it just added to the sense that we're falling behind and those guys are going to take advantage of us. And the other thing I think to note, those guys being the West, the other thing to note is that, as you said earlier, yeah. their leadership was pretty elderly. Yeah. And, 
and most of the leadership had lived through World War II yeah. as as adults. Yeah. And what the what the Soviets remembered most about World War II was that the Germans attacked them in a surprise attack. Yeah, on the Eastern Front, Operation Barbarossa is what the Germans yeah. called it, yeah. and they lived in deadly fear of another Operation Barbarossa. Only this right. time, it was going to be nuclear. Right, right, so right. it it's not even entirely rational. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And but they had this this paranoia, this fear. I mean, if you look at Russia today yeah. and what's going on in Ukraine right. yeah. and much of uh, what Vladimir Putin has said publicly about the yeah. reasons for them taking this military action in Ukraine is it's out of fear it's out of paranoia that nato's come right up to our our oh, very border right and why are they doing that well they must be planning to destabilize yeah. us or even attack us or whatever it's not all that much different than how these soviet leaders felt in 1983. i i want to ask you a question i know this is far from the subject don't you think we failed russia as the west uh, by not embracing it after the collapse of 1989. We kind of uh, picked the countries that we wanted and we took them all in and we just left Russia right out in the cold. And I mean, I would get paranoid too. You just you just gobbled all the states, the satellites I had, the Baltic states, all the states that were uh, under the Warsaw uh, umbrella. And we had an opportunity to embrace Russia and bring it right into the fold of Western society economically i think we missed that opportunity and this is our fault and we're paying for this war or probably future war because we, we failed to embrace russia after the 1989 collapse well i think there there's some valid points there mm -hmm. i i think that our our policy toward russia in the 1990s was mm -hmm. almost one of neglect right and it was like they weren't even relevant anymore Right. And why even bother wasting much energy on them? Yeah. Um, there were some exceptions to that. I think, yeah. you know, the arms control regimes that we had, there were some exceptions to that. But I think um, that by and large, this neglect that the United States and our Western European allies had toward Russia in the 1990s yeah. was not smart. And, yeah, I mean, and, and then the expansion of NATO, I think um, we probably didn't give enough credence to their fears. And as we were expanding NATO, whether it was Yeltsin, who was president yeah, yeah. in the 90s, or even Putin shortly, you know, at, when he was the new president, they right. expressed concern about this. And I think we, again, discounted their concern as yeah. not being valid somehow, you know, and I think that was a mistake. Because I read somewhere um, that Jim Baker made a promise to Gorbachev that we would not move from West Germany above. And then when we did, we said, oh, we did, it, was, it, was in, it was in writing. It was, a, I mean, uh, and we did the opposite. We moved right into, to, uh, I mean, you cannot blame Russia for being paranoid right now because we, we made a promise that we're not going to move to the eastern part of Europe uh, militarily with NATO and the European Union expand in such a way that is, it's what, 30 years? That's more than the whole last 100 years. They have expanded to the doorstep of Russia. 
Russia historically is not a, an aggressive nation. They never had colonies in Africa or in the Middle East. They were mostly under attack historically or they were within their own neighborhoods. So uh, if we were able to, uh, to move to these countries and procure all the nuclear weapons, remember they were all over the place, Yeltsin was drunk as crazy. Why can't we just, I mean, like I know I'm repeating the same thing, just embrace Russia, bring it in. Uh, uh, bring the market to the European Union. You don't have to make it a NATO member or part of the EU. You can say the, the EU plus one. Because people, when they do economically good, they, they don't want war. Everybody wants peace. If you have a mortgage, if you have a car payment, and you're doing okay, you don't have no problems no more. You understand what I'm saying here? I do. I think that if you look at the history of the 1990s, yeah. that which is really maybe the crucial period here, um, yeah. the there wasn't unanimity amongst the al the western allies yeah so for example where the united states might be the united states in fact i think was a bit more willing yeah. to embrace russia yeah. but some of our traditional allies were not they don't want to and there was a lot of the british and the french in particular were very concerned about getting too close to russia the other piece of this is that even inside Russia, yeah. there wasn't unanimity either. They, yeah. There were forces who didn't want Russia to get closer to the yeah. West. So it, it is, it's yeah, like most yeah. things, it's complicated, but um, I, I think, I, I do think on balance that the West could have made a greater effort. Better, yeah. You know, because uh, you, you heard of a professor called John Marshallin or Marshalland. He, he predicted the war in the Ukraine in 2015. Mm. I think he, I saw him online and I, I almost went nuts when he said that he's going to wreck Ukraine. He said everything that's happened and it, it happened. So, um, well, I, I, I don't know him specifically, but I, I think yeah. that, you know, one of the th one thing that I think we still fail to perhaps appreciate is just how vitally important Crimea is to Russia. Right. And 2014 yeah. was lar not entirely about Crimea, but it was yeah. largely about Crimea. Yeah. And the fear that the Russians had that, um, so from a Russian point of view, they yeah. feared Ukraine joining EU and maybe even eventually joining NATO. Yeah. And we had, NATO had said, you know, yeah. we're not going to let you we won't admit you to NATO now, but we're not saying never. Right, right, you know, right. We're not saying never. And the Russians took that, pardon me, as a direct challenge to their ability to utilize the military facilities in Crimea because had Ukraine become part of NATO yeah. at some point, what would be the disposition of Crimea? Because but, okay. the Russian Black Sea Fleet is headquartered in Crimea. It's right. been headquartered there since Catherine the Great. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So Crimea, they weren't going to give that up. Crimea was part of the Soviet Union. I think it was redistricted administratively in the 1954. I mean, I Correct. read that history because I know that most right. of that area was under the Ottoman Empire. Crimea was part of the, the Turkey. Uh, even the name is mean Karama in, in Arabic or in right. Turkish. So, um, it was redistricted or administratively in the 1954. So, it was it's Russian. Crimea is Russian. Why are we going to lie to each other? And, and uh, if Ukraine was smart, they could have cut their losses, let go of Crimea, and joined the NATO right away or the European Union instead of having a frozen conflict 
that would not let him get into the, uh, the European Union because the European Union don't want you with a frozen conflict. Yeah, I, I have to say, though, I'm not sure Russia would have even countenanced yeah. Ukraine joining the EU and NATO had they gotten yeah. Crimea or I, I think it's to the Russia. I think Ukraine's too important. It's not just about yeah. Crimea. It's yeah, about yeah, yeah. the rest of Ukraine, too. Yeah. But they have a brotherly relation. The, the the capital of Russia was Kiev for a long time ago, for a long time. I think uh, Putin is a dangerous person. I mean, let's not let that go. He's a he's an he's an idiot. He he made the same mistake that Saddam Hussein made when he went into Kuwait. They they goaded him because they knew uh, he had too much ambition. If uh, what they what the West realizes, if we let him have Ukraine, we're gonna fight him in the Baltics because. His whole premises was, I'm protecting the Russian minorities. The same thing that Hitler was doing in the 1930s. What are you doing? I'm right. protecting the German minorities in these countries. So if you go to the Baltics, have the populations of Russians, they're more than Ukraine and all that other stuff. So the NATO said, either we're going to fight them now with NATO bodies, I mean, with the Ukrainian bodies, or we're going to fight them tomorrow with European and American bodies in, in the Baltics. So they decided this, was a, this is the place to bleed Russia. Uh, like what they did, a repeat of Afghanistan. You understand? Because um, they, they could have did the same thing to them in Syria, but they're afraid of the weapons going to those Mujahideen and, and restart the whole thing all over again with, with the Muslim fundamentalists. So they, they are able to give these weapons to Ukraine without worrying about what's going to happen to them in the future. So I think Ukraine was the place where we're mm -hmm. going to drown, uh, drown uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, certainly Ukraine is a, is a battlefield that, for many, many reasons, is yeah. more amenable to Western support than, say, a Syria would be or, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And the, and the whole conflict in Syria is so complicated in any yeah. event. There's many different, as you know, many different Factions. forces at yeah, play yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a, there is a fundamental... Um, uh oh, we're getting nuclear weapons. <laughs> no, we get attacked. <laughs> no way about it. Huh? It's a, it's alert, but yeah. I think uh, I, I think that your point about uh, Russian ethnic Russians is an important one that yeah. is often lost upon Western observers, and yeah. Putin has talked about it consistently right. that when he when he says. Things like you know the dissolution of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of the 20th yeah. century catastrophe. Yeah. Um, part of why he says that is because of all of these Russian ethnic Russians that were suddenly not part of Russia anymore, or not part of a yeah. country controlled by Russia in the case of the yeah. Soviet Union. And Ukraine is is one example, but there, you know, as you say, the Baltics and and there are other yeah. states in uh, former Soviet states yeah. that fit, fit that description as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, I, you know, there's some in the West who dismiss that as saying, well, he's just using that as an excuse. Right. Putin is just using that as an excuse, but I, I think he actually believes it. Yeah. I think that he, he, he really does think that that was a tragic circumstance and that he would, like to address it, it. I mean, but, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. if you see such a big country, the Russians are a proud people, 
and they were humbled and embarrassed. First, they had the uh, drunk uh, president mm -hmm. Nelson dancing all over the place. Russia lost its prestige internationally, and in every way you could think, it was embarrassed. And it was, uh, and the whole thing is that um, we failed to pick it up off the floor and say, "Listen, you did all right. You lost the Cold War. Let's get, uh, let's start a new, a fresh, fresh start." You understand? But instead. Russia uh, had these people, what do you call them, the Algrishi, the people who have all this wealth, isn't like 10, 20 people who stolen. The public never, they ran out of cigarettes one time. I remember the, the United States sent them cigarettes and vodka because they were afraid of a crisis going to happen. I, I don't know, it was like 20 years ago. I was so young. I read about it in the news. We had to send them cigarettes and, and, and vodka just to keep them calm to avoid a crisis inside Russia. Russia is an important country. I mean, I see it as that. Forget about Putin. You can put it on the side. They are a proud people. They are people with a rich history, rich culture. And when you're that proud, sometimes, you know, when you get humbled like that and embarrassed like that, you get up. It's like, you know, you just punch whatever you want to, every way you, uh, you can see. You just punch everybody in front of you. That's, that's what the Elsa, I mean, I said Elsa, that's what Putin, I think his mindset is that he wants to, uh, to relive something that's gone. Russia is not going to be like what, what the Soviet Union again. And for him to to wish for that to happen again, I think it's dangerous for Russia, and it's going to eventually break down Russia again, and probably break the Russian Federation in the long term. What he's doing right now, you agree with me? I, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I'm not trying to dodge it, but uh, I think you know the jury's still out. Um, yeah, it's it certainly his war in Ukraine is the biggest risk he's yeah. ever taken. Yeah, and he's really rolled the dice. And yes. um, it 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 may work out eventually in his favor, or it may not. I think the jury's still out, but it definitely is a huge risk, and it does potentially risk other, you know, additional yeah. internal issues in, in Russia for sure that could be damaging. Yeah. Not only that, we're talking about 1983. He's moving nuclear weapons to uh, Belarusia right now. I mean, this is a, this is as bad as it's going to get. I mean, I mean, uh, a simple mistake. I mean, this is the this is the time to worry about a real mistake happening or mis uh, 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 misunderstanding. It could, you know, it could create a nuclear holocaust for us and Russia at the same time. So I think well, we need and, to give him a ra go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Omar. I think that as I was suggesting earlier, there. There are really a lot of parallels between 1983 and right. 2023, yeah. 40 years later, and yeah. not so many between 2023 and 1962, which is what everybody yeah. seems to be talking about. You know, they talk yeah, about the yeah, Cuban yeah. Missile Crisis, but this yeah, isn't yeah. really like that. This is more like 83, yeah. where there's yeah. a lack of communication, a lack of right. understanding, all kinds of potential for miscalculation. And a lot and of weapons going on. Yeah. Yes. And for events yeah. getting out of control in Ukraine, um, just that uh, what happened a couple of weeks ago with the Soviet fighter hitting the U.S. Air Force MQ-9 yeah. drone, you know, what if that had been a manned aircraft right, right, right. and not an unmanned aircraft? It's those kinds of unanticipated black swan events that we, uh, could really yeah, create know, a... Can we give him a ramp? Catastrophe. A ramp out. I say, okay, take Crimea and get the hell out of here. I know you need it. You need access to the Black Sea, and it's always part of Russia. 
and we convince our Ukrainian partner, listen, we're not going to support this war forever. Uh, at the end, you know, Americans, we have a uh, attention span, you know, like TikTok. I mean, we're going to support you, maybe in the long run, we're not. I mean, we give them a way out, like Iran, but take Crimea, that's it. Uh, Ukraine does not become part of NATO military, but could have a special relationship with the European Union economically. It doesn't hurt him, you understand? He'd probably benefit from that if goods are moved back from forth to that region. Could that be a, ra- a ramp way out for him? It's one, it's, it could be, but it's one that Ukrainians won't accept. I mean, it's one yeah. that Zelensky won't accept at this point. And the, the other problem is that the Russians, they're not going to give up the other territory that they've taken yeah. lightly. And they wanted a land bridge to Crimea. They've got it now. They yeah. really control not only the Crimean ports, but they really control, with the exception of Odessa, yeah. all of the other ports and so right, they right, can right. they can economically strangle Angle, ukraine yeah. if they want to so yeah. uh, that's going to be a tough pill for the ukrainians to swallow what what kind of a country do they really have left right, and yeah. uh, but but i do think that eventually there's going to be a negotiated settlement of some kind yeah, yeah yeah and and i do think also that the longer this war goes on the greater yeah. the probability of a black swan event of yeah. a miscalculation of an yeah. accident of, of right. something bad happening um like you know, again to compare it with 83 you yeah. had the korean airline get shot down yeah and that triggered this whole series of events that almost led to nuclear war so you just one worries about a a, a prolonged conflict just increasing yeah, no. the chances of bad things happening and the uh, the power structure in russia is one guy like our we have a a, a different structure you know the congress mm-hmm. has to be involved to make war and all that stuff i mean we have a a a, a, a real country i mean we we, we have right. bodies uh, um you know i mean that that could make we have institutions that but yeah institutions have, yeah russia the whole institution power. is putin he sleeps and wakes up that's the whole institution of russia so mm-hmm. we don't know what state of, he's 70 years old. He had plastic surgery. Imagine he, if he was worried about his look, how I, I wonder how his brain is. So I don't know. We might push him to the brink. The guy's turning 70 years old. He thought of himself as Peter the Great. I think you can compare him as Peter the Great. Now right. in his 70, he goes into a war. He's bleeding his country economically and militarily, and men are dying. Even prisoners are now fighting. That's how bad it is. Yeah. So how far can you push this man before he does something uh, unpredictable? Well, everything I know about him and and what I hear from people in the intelligence community is he is yeah. he's rational. Yeah. Uh, but that having been said, he's also shown himself to be willing to escalate if necessary. Right. And so his threats about the use of nuclear weapons, while they may be unlikely, they're not they're not completely out of the question either. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I I personally think and I I know some people in the intelligence community believe that if the Ukrainians mounted a serious military offensive toward Crimea. Yeah. Then 
he might, if he felt threatened enough, he might resort to nuclear weapons yeah, over, yeah. over yeah, that. Tactical. But, uh, mm -hmm, yeah. And he knows in Europe, he has overwhelming nuclear superiority in Europe. Uh, yeah. Russia, we we let our nuclear forces really dwindle right. in Europe after the, the end of the Cold War. And so the Russians have about a 21, 20 to 1 advantage of nuclear weapons in the theater. And Putin knows that. Yeah, but I mean, that's all they have. I, I heard people compare it to a gas station with nuclear weapons. Russia is not a, it's, it's economically weak, it's politically it has no... It's not a country. It's a weak country. Even Obama one time described it. When Obama was describing, it, I said, "What? What the hell is he talking about?" You know, because I wasn't mm -hmm. paying attention. He goes, "Russia is a weak country, and it's a dying country. They lost. They lose in population. They already lost like two, three million since the nineteen ninety in population." So, uh, That's um, true. But I, yeah. I, I also wouldn't underestimate them. I mean, they're technologically very advanced. Oh, um, they are. They have some of the best scientists and engineers in the world. Right, yeah. And and economically, they're weathering the storm pretty well, actually. Yes. And oh, our banks are closing. These banks are not good. <laughs> and and you know, they're getting economic support from yeah. China. China's buying China and India are buying their oil and gas. Yeah. Um I th I I think some of these predictions of you yeah. know economic downfall not gonna have are overblown i think that they're exaggerated and because i read they're, he they're just not to be underestimated I, I read before the war he was he has been amassing a lot of wealth inside the russia they had like six seven hundred billion dollars that's what's sitting right yeah. there so he's preparing for this today or whatever is going to happen the only right. thing is um you know what scares me more um brian is that um there's no conversation uh, of a way out nobody's talking about that there's no Nobody's talking about a uh, negotiation. Even just put it, you know, travel balloons in the air, you know, to calm the situation down. It's just like, no, we're gonna send another six billion dollars in aid and military aid. We're gonna give them these weapons. We're gonna give them our planes. We're gonna give them. I mean, we we you need somebody like um bad cop, good cop. We need somebody to come out of Western Europe. You know, mm -hmm. maybe uh, France, Macron could go there. Listen, guys, uh, enough is enough. Let's find a way out yeah. of this. You understand? Well, because right now you have a yeah. Yeah, you're right, and 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 Macron actually has been that voice, yeah, really since early in the war. That why don't we develop a framework for peace and for a right. ceasefire? And and he's um, largely been, I think, ignored by yeah, certainly by the United States and and by other Western leaders. That's what bothers me the most too. What bothers me yeah. the most is. I don't understand what our strategy is. I don't understand what our what our goals are. What what is the yeah. end game here? What does it look like? What's a viable, you know, in every successful war that the United States has fought through history, yeah. um, the president, the president yeah. of the United States, whether it was FDR or Woodrow Wilson or Abraham Lincoln, yeah. um, had a very clear idea of war termination goals what yeah, is yeah. the termination of this war look like how are we going to resource right. so that we get to those goals yeah. it, it it was a classic case of strategic goal setting and strategic planning to get there and i don't see that happening in this no, conflict and it, it reminds me a lot of vietnam frankly 
in that respect. Well, I mean, a lot of people get mad at me when I say we haven't won a war. Our record is bad. We haven't won a war since World War II. We broke even in Korea. We lost in Vietnam. We lost in, I don't know how you want to look at it. We lost in Iraq. We lost in Afghanistan. We can beat guys with fucking, excuse my line, with sandals for 20 years. NATO guys were, imagine if they had sneakers, what they were going to do to us. They, we were running around for 20 years, wasted money. And, and well, I would I would offer a, one exception yeah. to that, which is the 1991 war where we did yeah. have clear goals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They might not have been. And, and we did. We stopped short of achieving all of them, but we did have clear goals and we did achieve most of them. We got but, Iraq out of Kuwait and, and, so and we destroyed but, the army. Yeah. And we, we destroyed, destroyed as it we turned did, out. We, yeah. We, we did destroyed we their WMD too. We destroyed yeah, we the WMD we, too. Yeah, <laughs> we did what we wanted. We, we actually ninety one. Yeah. The father, father, the father of Bush, whatever his name we want to call him, he had a strategy. We're gonna go in there, yes. get quit back. We we get the chance to kill that army uh, that has been, uh, and they murdered that army in that highway of death they call it whatever it was called, and we destroyed. Uh, we had it under embargo, and we had the country, and that's it. And all of a sudden, he had this fever of Cheney and all this stuff, weapons of mass bullshit destruction. You know, I was a young man there, but I knew it was bullshit. I go with the Washington. Why I knew it was bullshit? Because they are uh, they are um, looking for uh, for weapons of mass destruction in his palace. I mean, how many rockets can you hide in a palace? I mean, nuclear weapons. You need the underground. You need these places. You need the uh, big industrial uh, area to to store them. I mean, what are they gonna do? They're gonna put some chemicals in their kitchen? It was such a lie, and and we fell for it, and we paid for it. As a matter of fact, we're still losing. If you re we lose six thousand veterans a year to suicide in the United States, we have lost oh, one hundred and twenty thousand since two thousand one. So we we're still at war. We lost. If we yeah. lost one hundred twenty thousand men that came back from Iraq and Afghanistan, that means we're still losing the war. It was a mistake. I mean, it was that. Um, that's yeah. why we, we needed. Sometimes you need an enemy. You know why? Because Russia collapsed. Then we had all these wars. If Russia was still Russia, we would never have these wars. Because we have somebody on the opposite side telling us, no, you can't do that. We're going to give them weapons. You know, sometimes it's good to have an enemy uh, to keep you in check, to keep you uh, your mindset good, and keep you energized to fix your country instead of going into adventures. That's what we've been doing. I mean, we've been losing a lot of wars. I mean, well, and again, that 91 war, the difference was we did have a strategy and we had yeah. goals. And, and I don't see that today, uh, apart from. You know the president saying we're going to do whatever it takes, and then That's we're actually really, not doing whatever it takes. So it uh, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me. I'm, I'm going to take you a little bit off subject. It's, it's the 20th anniversary of the Iraqi War. I'm from I'm from Arabia, and I've been to Iraq before the Iraqi War. Iraq was a secular country. It was mostly a right. socialist. They didn't, it was not the government was not religious. They had no tolerance mm -hmm. for all this religious bullshit they have there. They had free education. They had the. Uh, um, if you buy a house, they give you a down payment. I went to school there as a youngster, free. Mm. I was, I'm from Yemen. So what uh, what uh, Saddam has, they used to put the poor Arabs, they used to come there, and he gives them an allowance, $100 a month and all that. And we went to the Baghdad University. When, when we had the war, I was surprised. This was our ally. We've been saying that Iran is our enemy for the last 50 years. They took our people high. All of a sudden, we're going to go attack the one country that is a counterweight to our so-called enemy, that is Iran, and break that country and hand it over to Iran in a, in a silver plate. That's what we did right now. I couldn't understand that logic, what was going on. I mean, do you have any intake right. or any outtake on that? 
I do. (laughs) I I, I think another distinction between 91 and 2003 is that we knew all that in 91. Yeah. And I was still, I was in in the government in 91. And we knew all that. And that's why we didn't destroy Saddam's regime in 91. Yeah. Because we wanted him to stay there as a counterweight to Iran. And... uh, 2003 all of that knowledge just seemed to evaporate into the air i i don't i never i I didn't understand (laughs) it at the time and i still don't quite i couldn't you know i could understand i know a lot about the region i'm like saying listen first of all you propped iraq into war with iran in 1981 or 1980 in the 1980s have a million iraqis died fighting the iranians as a proxy war with iran because we were trying to get even for the hostages and all that stuff at the same time, we were selling weapons to Iran under the table and selling the Iraq weapons uh, over the table. So we were giving weapons to kill each other. And in the whole, in the end, you destroyed the whole regime that you propped up and that fought for you in the wars. You destroyed the country. You uh, you uh, you dismantled the army. Mm-hmm. And you have now uh, Iraq is full of mil- militias. They are, it's not a country. It's like a you know the Mad Max movie. Just, uh, don't believe when they tell you that there, there's no country there. It's not safe. Every region have their own militia. They have the Iranian, the Shiite, the Sunnis. You destroy the whole country that was put together by a crazy man. Saddam Hussein, he had his faults, but uh, uh, there was some economic distribution in that country. Not like Saudi Arabia, who are our ally, who are cutting people's heads off in the street and beat and stoning women for having uh, uh, extramarital affairs. And the wealth is in the hand of the prince of the royal family. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we destroyed the one bright country that that really was secretly a country in any way you could think of it. Saddam hated religion. The Ba'athist uh, regime was, uh, uh, there's only, I don't know what they were saying, uh, there's no God and, and and life is whatever is on earth. I don't know how to say it in English. You know, this, uh, Anyway, that's what I was uh, the 20th embassy. I feel uh, yeah. we did the wrong thing. You know? Well, the, again, we didn't have good war termination yeah. plans for the 2003 war what was going to push what by was money. going to come next yeah. and I, th- I i disagree with that i was pushed by fear yeah the 2003 war i was pushed by fear in washington okay but the uh, fear of what fear of weapons of mass destruction do you believe that iraq had weapons you know they probably had chemical weapons it's easy i could make it home if i mix it if i get no. a, huh? uh, they well two things there one after the war, we did discover chemical weapons. Yeah, they had about, everybody knows that. Yeah. Everybody, that's the poor man's weapons, right? Nuclear weapons. But that wasn't the big fear. The fear yeah. was a nuclear reconstituting his nuclear program, which was not happening. It was not, but, but was based on terrible intelligence. It is. I, I and, think it was uh, purposeful. Well, it was because terrible. If you look at Iran, Iran is the real scare. They, they had nuclear plants already in place. I mean, that that's the real. Iraq started to do nuclear, and Israel bombed the nuclear reactor in 1981. They, they had nothing. Trust me, I'm an <laughs> yeah. idiot. You know, I, I'm I, what I mean by idiot. I'm a citizen. I'm not like you, an intellectual person or part of the intelligence habits or have. But I, I know the difference that Iraq. I could tell it was OBS, and when Colin Paul, may he rest in peace. He's dead. We can't talk bad about the dead. He went in front of the United Nation. He had that. Everybody knows a lie. Everybody, the, the, the inspector, that guy was his name, Ritter. Mm-hmm. 
They, yes. they, what they did is because he disagreed, they gave him some girl under 15 years old to talk to him and say, Oh, look, he's a pedophile. Everybody, you know, it was a, it was a, everybody was, a, everybody knew it was it, bad it, intelligence marrying bad policy. And we lost the, and I'm telling you, we lost money. And yeah, uh, oh my God, I, oh, I, I uh, the aftermath has been horrible. And but it 8, was thousand, yeah, eight thousand soldiers. We didn't have a plan for post hostilities. And so, as you just said, the army, the Iraqi army was disbanded. Yeah. Other institutions were disbanded. We basically destroyed the infrastructure. Right away, one night. And and we let Iran come in. And Iran just came in. Iran is is the real ruler right now of Iraq. If if you really look at it, it is the real ruler of Iraq right now. They had all the. It's a real tragedy. It Uh, is a tragedy. No other way of. Yeah, and the, and the other tragedy, I know I'm, uh, I want to take you because I want to I pick your brain out. The other tragedy is Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We, we could have got Al-Qaeda. We didn't need to declare war on a, 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 on a Mad Max country. I mean, we, we, had, we had Navy SEALs. We have uh, Beret. We could have went in there, killed the people that we wanted to, come out, boom, you know, special operations. The Taliban, they were not a threat to the United States. They never, right. uh, they, they never uh, bombed anything. As a matter of fact, two months before, they were in Houston, negotiation uh, pipeline that would go through Afghanistan for the oil companies in Houston. And they said, no, you know, they <laughs> that's what probably led to it. They had to, to, and the Taliban did us a favor because the whole country was all, it was all over the place. They came and they squashed everybody and made one central government that you could deal with at least. You understand even uh, for bad or for worse. And here we are for 20 years. We could have killed the, uh, the, the people we created. And instead of killing, you know, doing the special ops and getting rid of the Al Qaeda and the and the Arab, uh, the young Arab who are left over the remnants from the Afghanistan uh, war with Russia, we're actually going to war with 32 countries, NATO, how many 32 countries and all that, and losing mm-hmm. and being embarrassed. And you saw what happened. It's like Vietnam. We had they had the helicopter, we had the planes. People falling off the wings of the planes in, in Kabul. It's embarrassing and, and shameful what happened. And, and, and to our armed forces. You know, I, yeah. I like veterans. I'm a veteran guy. I mean, I never went to war, but I usually support them. When I read well, like 17, 17 people yeah. kill themselves a day, that is a, that's a war right now we have inside the United States. Uh, it's, it's, it's. So, what do you think about that war? We could have, could sad. we have done it better in the Afghanistan war? Oh, uh, of course. And Afghanistan, we, we won the war initially yeah. against Al Qaeda and the Taliban. We had to fight them initially just to get at Al Qaeda, but yeah. the, you're right. The Taliban was never our adversary. Never, they never been. attacked us. Of the and um, and it it caused us to take our eye off the ball, even of Al Qaeda, for a while. But if you look at the war in Afghanistan, we actually fought two wars there. Right. Uh, yeah. The CIA and special operations were fighting a counterterrorism war yeah. against all the people you just mentioned. Yeah. The United States Army, uh, military, and NATO were fighting a counterinsurgency war against the Taliban at the same time. We really only needed to fight the one war, yeah, which was yeah, the counterterrorism war. That's the reason we went in there in the first place. And we could have did it, and we could have won it easily because. Uh, uh, and we just, should have limited our goals. Yeah, to that. instead of taking Again. a whole army in there, nation, you're not going to build Afghanistan. Alexander the Great got defeated there. The, the, the British got defeated. Everybody, like they say in the street, everybody and their mother got uh, got defeated in Afghanistan. All of a sudden, here we come. 
We so, just defeated Russia there 20 years ago. I mean, we should learn from what we did to Russia there. And we're like, oh, right. nothing happened. You know, and we're sticking along. We came in there and we could beat people. One more thing I want to ask you. And I, if I may just say, in Afghanistan, it, it again comes back to strategic goals. There isn't any. What are you trying to achieve? If nothing. you're trying to achieve the defeat of Al-Qaeda and its fellow travelers, that's one thing. But if you're if you then expand that to oh we're going to fight a counterinsurgency and we're going to create conditions for Afghanistan to become a modern state on the other hand that's not going to that's not going to happen you know no. so it's it's keeping your eye on the ball yeah. and the eye the ball that we should have kept our eye on was the counterterrorism yeah kill kill the top Al Qaeda the ones who are really uh, a threat to our, uh, our national interests or national security anyway I'm going to ask some more questions here please don't I know I don't know how much time you have. Why, why do you think every time we go into a country, we leave, we come out, we like we went to Afghanistan and we supported and we left Al-Qaeda. We went to Iraq and ISS, ISIS, what's it called? ISIS came into power. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to sound a little crazy here. I think ISIS was a special operation to get all the, 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 the extremists all from all over the Arab world, the Muslim world to one spot and just fucking kill them one time, like a cheese. You know, we put cheese for the mouse. Because when you look at ISIS, uh, it's strange. They had all these weapons. Uh, when they first took the Mosul, you know what they did? They took a whole brigade. They, they just left the weapons and the tanks with the keys in them and just withdrew mm -hmm. the, 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 the Iraqi army. I'm like, yo, this is not making any sense here. I think what we did is, if you want to kill the mouse, you got to put some cheese. We made them put this fake state. You got all these extremists from all over the world, from Arabia, from Europe, from the United States, all these young people who want to be a fucking 72 versions. Forgive me for that word. I hope I don't get trouble in my neighborhood for saying this. And we just killed them. I think it was a, I think it was a special op. I, I, you know, everybody say, Omar, you crazy. I said, no way. This was a special op. We created an artificial state, this big Khalifa state, whatever it's called. They bring all the extremists to one spot and just get rid of them one time and get it over with. It's, I mean, it's, an <laughs> it's an interest. It's an interesting theory. Yeah, but it 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 is predicated on us being a lot smarter than we are. Yeah. Oh, you, <laughs> but I mean the way you saw that the trucks, uh, the brand new Toyotas. How the hell did they get all these thousands of trucks in there? At one time, when they took Mosul, you know Mosul is in Iraq. Mm -hmm. A whole battalion, I think I don't know was bigger, brigade or battalion of Iraqi army with the best weapons we gave them, the United States. They just withdrew. There was only a hundred uh, ISIS men with mm -hmm. fucking little rifles, and, this, and they left all the keys and all the stuff in the uh, <coughs> and all these equipment, these tanks, these cars, these uh, Humvees. It's like it was yeah. a gift. We was giving them a gift. I mean, I, I mean, you got you know, uh, American. You know, I, I am American, but most my fellow American, they're dumb when it comes to international uh, uh, politics. They only care about the Yankees and the Jets and the Giants. And if cheese get expensive in the supermarket, they don't know what's going on uh, after the border. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I look at that, I'm saying, ah, this does Omar, this does not make any sense. All of a sudden, even this uh, head cutting and suicide bombers, we never have suicide bombers before 1979. They used to fight. You remember the, the, the Palestinians, they used to kidnap an airplane. They never wanted to die. They wanted to get rid of people out of jail. Nobody wants it. All of a sudden, we got these people, young kids killing themselves. It's like I was scared. I was like, well, "This is not an Islam. Almost, it's not. That's not Islamic. You're gonna go to hell if you kill yourself." I mean, gonna... but the whole idea is—I know you said that, that's way too smart. I think it was a 
a special op by the Mossad and the CIA and the Saudis. They said, listen, we built these young Arabs. We, we, they fought the Russians. Now they, they have the know-how. They, they train the people how to fight. How do we get rid of this experience? Let them make their own dumb country. Let them run around. Uh, because they had a country. They didn't have to fight nobody. They had a land uh, mass more than France. They had hospitals. They had paved streets, the, 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 the ISIS. They didn't need to bother nobody. Just run the state. They had oil. They had everything that will make up a, a viable state if they really wanted a state. But now the, they were running people over with trucks in Europe, chasing people yeah. with knives. Knives at a fucking bridge. And, and, how many going to kill with a knife? I think, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to sound crazy. It was a special op to get all these extremists who wants to go to heaven early. Get them over there. And that's, that's what we did. We killed more than 40. You know, Trump destroyed them. Nobody gives him credit. That idiot, he doesn't know how to take credit. He killed everybody. Mosul was yeah. bombed. It's carbon bomb. People, innocent, women, schools. They just bombed it like for three, four months. They killed more than 40,000 individuals in Mosul. And they just destroyed it. ISIS is gone. That's all it took. At the, at the end, oh, we killed Baghdadi. Baghdadi could have been a Mossad officer. We don't know that. You know, all of a sudden, uh, yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> Trust I, me. like I said, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting theory. But yeah, I, I don't think about that. Uh, I don't think know. we're that smart. We're not. I don't, so, think, huh? I don't think we're that smart to be, have put an opera together like that. But, um, but, but it is true. But yeah. I, I think it is true that what ISIS did do is what you just said. It was like yeah. a centrifugal force pulling all these people from yeah, all they over the everybody. world. Yeah, they everybody. was coming on boats, on planes. And everybody's it, coming to die it did, there. It did make it easier for action Yeah. We got rid of everybody. You don't hear anybody extremists no more. Everybody's dead. We, we, I think it was an operation. You put cheese, the mouse will come and eat it. All these young men, you know, yeah. they're on, uh, uh, oh, yeah. I want to, I want to. <laughs> well, Omar, I am going to have to. Okay. I'm going to have to cut out here in a minute. Okay, but, uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to read you a book. I already put it, uh, you see the picture right on top of your head. Of yes. Book. I enjoyed I enjoy having a conversation. You know, I love to talk to people who are smart and, and willing to, to, I want to learn from them, you understand? And I appreciate, well, I appreciate you for, it. I appreciate you for coming on and I thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, folks can buy it at Amazon or go to my there website. There guys. www.brianjmora.com. Okay, so, I want to tell you something. I want to, uh, you, know you. That, you know that GBT IRS that, that new, uh, they spelled your name wrong. When I looked up your name, they have you as uh, Brian Moore, M-O-O-R-E. When I put Moore, they, they don't know who you are. But with Moore, they tell us about your book and they tell me everything about your book. You know what I'm talking about? The GBT, that, that new uh, 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 um, AI. Um, Oh, oh, really? Yeah, you go look yourself uh, up. They got you M O R. They don't know who you are. M O R. They don't know you. If you put M O R more, they tell me about your book and what's going on. Anyway, thank you. Okay, that's thank interesting. For Thanks for that. Thank you very much for the invitation. And I appreciate you again. I hope I'm going to get you again. Okay. Okay. Thank right. you. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. There you have it, Brian Moore. Thank you.